This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hey, everyone. Salty language ahead. But we're talking about the economy. So, you know. Jordan, can you choose an emoji for the economy right now? Uh, the head exploding emoji, I think. I was going to go with lol sob. <laughs> no, I think the brain exploding emojis. Why? Um, <laughs> because everyone's brain is kind of breaking as we're trying to figure out what exactly is going on during this reopening process, um, which is uh, economically, it's a bit chaotic right now. This chaos Jordan's talking about is mostly in the minds of people like him analysts whose job it is to issue some kind of judgment about the way money moves in this country. They've got all kinds of metrics to measure the economy's growth. Take the consumer price index. It currently shows costs rising. The average price of a new car above $25,000. We've never seen that before. Airfares, those are also going up. Just then there's the monthly jobs report. At the desk. We're going to bring in the numbers right now yeah, so we can see it here. Uh, and the answer is a giant miss, right? It is. It's only 266,000 jobs added in the period, which is a real disappointment for April. You had economists looking for more like a million. One thing you would expect to see is that as the vaccination rate rises, more people would go back to work, right? You would see the jobs recovery kind of speed up. Is that what we're seeing? Not really. <laughs> and so it's at least as far as you can kind of tell from eyeballing the data. You know what I see when I look at how the numbers are being talked about generally? I see so much impatience. And I just think it's really interesting because I think there's an impatience on all levels in our lives right now, an impatience to take our masks off, an impatience to get the economy back. And I keep thinking to myself, we've never done this before. <laughs> like we've never kind of brought our economy, not quite to a screeching halt, but almost, and then tried to like restart the engine before. <laughs> yeah, and we're having trouble revving it back up a little. Uh, it's, it's making some strange noises as we try to, as we turn the ignition key. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit Terra Nova, or not a little bit, it's very Terra Nova. Today on the show, what kind of economy did COVID leave behind? Month by month, we're starting to figure it out. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. 
When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's take these indicators one by one and sort of go through exactly what we learned, when we learned it, and what you think it tells you. We can start with job numbers because those came out first about a week or two ago. When you wrote about them, the first line in your article was quoting an analyst who said, this might be one of the most disappointing jobs reports of all time, which <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, that's um, direct. That, 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 was, that was a quote from Nick Bunker, uh, a researcher at Indeed.com, who is one of the most obsessive chroniclers of the uh, monthly jobs report and kind of these economic stats. So when he says it's one of the most disappointing of all time, like it's that's for real. <laughs> it was it, it was it was heartbreaking for a lot of people. I mean, ever- so quantify this. Like, what are we talking about here? Economists and analysts were expecting that the economy was going to create uh, approximately a million jobs in April, right? That was that was like the kind of consensus guess. Uh, and instead, uh, employers only added uh, 266,000 uh, new workers to their payrolls, just a, a huge swing and a miss. So it's like you, yeah, it's like a quarter tank of jobs. <laughs> you expected a full tank. <laughs> Every, everyone's eyeballs kind of bugged out when that when when the report came out at eight thirty that morning, and you know my initial response was just like, "What the fuck?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, "Huh? What what happened?" But what does that mean? Does that mean that people aren't applying to jobs or jobs aren't out there? The the short answer is we don't know exactly, but there are a lot of theories about what's happening. First off, there are jobs out there. We know that for a fact. The question is why unemployed people aren't taking these jobs pretty quickly. Many Republicans thought they'd figured it out. They started floating a theory that the extra unemployment insurance folks got as part of Biden's COVID relief package was keeping people out of the workforce. One of the main arguments um, and one of the most convincing arguments that that unemployment benefits were keeping some people from the from going back to work is that job openings, job postings online have recovered to pre-pandemic levels. They're in fact higher. Lots and lots of companies are posting help wanted ads. There's no shortage of those. At the same time, there was some evidence. Um, Daniel Zhao at at Glassdoor, for instance, an economist there, pointed this out that job search activity actually declined a little bit around March when Hmm. um, unemployment benefits were extended. So more jobs are available. Fewer people seem to be searching. You know, the question is why. But uh, it's also important to remember, again, jobs numbers can be a little bit erratic on a month to month basis. Maybe something funky happened in April. Who knows? But things will recover a bit in May. You you don't want to look at one month in isolation and and treat that as um, unless there's some really time sensitive reason that you need to. (laughs) Like, you know, legislation has to be passed immediately. If if you have an opportunity to wait and look for a little bit more data, it's good to get more data um, and, and let things evolve a little bit. Even if you look at the data we do have, it's not like it clarifies who's out of luck, labor-wise, and why. For instance, at the beginning of the month, it was restaurants that seemed most troubled by staffing shortages. Owners went on TV, 
said they didn't have enough workers to open up for meals like lunch. Industry groups released reports with statistics that backed them up. But the hospitality industry, they actually fared pretty well in this report. If you looked at which industries were were actually adding jobs, the hospitality industry did okay. So the people who were complaining the most actually did fine. Probably they could have added you know more in an ideal world, but they, they didn't do terribly. Um, all the other industries just stopped adding jobs, manufacturing, things like that. It was it was sort of the it was sort of the reverse of what you would expect given what people are complaining about. Hmm. And then an, another part of it was that there were clearly some industries that had kind of bulked up during the during the pandemic and had decided to start laying workers off. You saw a bunch of jobs lost in messenger and courier services. You saw grocery stores lay a bunch of people off. And so that kind of weighed on the total number. So the closer you looked at, at the picture, just the more weird it kind of got. And th- that's why in the end, my, my takeaway is, yeah, this suggests maybe there is an, some kind of issue with labor supply, but it would be good if we could just all take a breather and wait for a hot second just to see how things play out for one more month. The people who are not taking a breather are governors in Republican states. So far, 19 of them have started the process of cutting off extra unemployment insurance for their residents. But notably, many of those same states aren't doing a great job of getting people vaccinated either. Jordan says that could be another reason why workers are staying home. It's just not a metric we usually think of as an economic indicator. I mean, if you if you want to know why Republicans aren't being patient, I think that's pretty simple, which is that they, they don't particularly like unemployment benefits to begin with. They thought they were holding back the economy back last year, right? Like that, you, you know, don't forget that we had this conversation during the initial stages of the pandemic where we just had this thing. No, we didn't even have vaccines. We had this thing nowhere near licked. And Republicans were complaining that somehow unemployment benefits were were holding back the economy, which seems absurd in retrospect. Um you know, so there, there's already sort of they're sort of ideologically opposed to to this part of the safety net to begin with, and so it's not totally surprising that they they are moving a little bit more prematurely than someone like myself would prefer. It's like they've been cued to sing their verse. <laughs> they're like, "This is what we talk about. We're here." This is yeah, exactly. They've just been you know they've been waiting for their shot, and they're not going to miss it. You know, Joe Biden said something that's interesting to me when he was talking about what happened here. We also need to recognize that people will come back to work if they're paid a decent wage. And I thought, huh, is there an argument that employers are just not doing enough to recruit workers by simply raising their wages? Yes and no. I mean, you can look at wage data and it's clear that a lot of employers are increasing pay. Right. Like, you know, in, in hospitality, for instance, like there's a clear trend up in the last couple of months. There are also some very funny stories out there of like businesses that magically discovered that when they raise their minimum wage from like 725 to 15, all of a sudden more people want to work for them. Right. Like there was this <laughs> ice cream parlor in Pennsylvania that was like, huh, there's, we, we're getting all these applications now that we doubled our minimum wage. It's like, yeah, no shit, Sherlock. And on Twitter, it's very popular to say, well, if a business can't hire, it should just raise its pay. And, you know, again, there are there are cases like that ice cream shop in Pennsylvania where that's that's clearly the right answer. But it's not always that simple, right? Um, you know, some businesses aren't built to pay their workers beyond a certain point. And 
if you're kind of working from the assumption that we just spent all this money trying to save small businesses and we'd prefer them not to like run into trouble now while we're coming out of the pandemic, then just saying, oh, well, you know, too bad if you can't find any workers isn't it's not exactly a satisfying answer there. Well, there's also there's also these structural barriers to people going back to work. Like I was listening to a call in show talk about this very issue and Someone who worked in theater called in from New Jersey said, you know, she was worried about, I think, childcare, and then not just childcare, but the bus that would have usually gotten her into work in Manhattan, it doesn't exist anymore. You know, all these things have been trimmed back because of the pandemic, because they've been used less. And so it's this kind of herky-jerky the demand is there, but the supply isn't yet thing. And that's happening in all sorts of ways throughout the economy. Yeah, I mean, there are all sort, there's all sorts of weirdness. And uh, you, you brought up childcare, which again, is just been so under discussed in this, you know, about when it comes when it comes to rehiring. Um, uh, only about 50% of school districts are, are fully in person right now. Right, like that's that's according to uh, this 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 uh, site called Return to Learn. It's a tracker that was put out by the American Enterprise Institute, um, and also Davidson College. Fifty percent of of school districts in the U.S. are, are fully in person, um, which means that the other fifty percent, you know, parents need to be at home at times and are dealing with weird hours for their kids. I mean, and when you're talking about the the service industry, you're talking about a lot of moms. Right, who are typically employed in it? It's not um, so. It's I wouldn't underrate that as uh, a factor here, and I that's part of what's really disconcerting to me about the decision by a lot of Republicans to um, cut off unemployment benefits. It's not just that um, they may be uh, forcing people back to work before they're comfortable in ter- because of COVID. It's also they may be trying to force people back to work before they really can because they've got a kid who's staring at a screen at home and needs someone to watch them. I did wonder a little bit if there was a, a bit of sneaky genius going on. Like the expanded unemployment insurance is supposed to last until September which is a while away. And it means if a worker is indeed holding out because they can't get childcare, because um, they feel like they need more money to make it work, whatever, they have this time to do that if they need to and have the economy sort of catch up to them. Right. There, there wasn't really a scientific reason why Democrats picked September or really the very beginning of September as the end date for unemployment. There were some negotiations. Some people would have liked it longer. Some people wanted it shorter. But the general sense was that you needed to extend unemployment benefits long enough that by the time we were asking people to go back to work, we knew they would be able to right, that we would have the vaccination rate pretty high, that schools would be reopened. That that was the sense that you didn't want to kick people out, you know, back into the labor market uh, prematurely. And, you know, who knows, maybe in two months when a lot of these benefits are set to lapse, um, things will look a little different. But uh, at the moment, it feels like in some states they are they're giving people the, the heave ho earlier than they should. Well, it's funny because um, if you look at it that way, that this extra time buys people what they need to return when they're able, then in some ways you're acknowledging 
Republicans might be right. People might be holding themselves out of the job market for personal reasons, and and they can kind of get by at this point. But then you can also have a conversation about who the economy forces to bear the brunt of this time when things are going to be herky-jerky. And so by kicking people off the benefits, you're saying to the workers, like, you're going to bear the brunt of this. You need to deal with it and figure it out. But if people stay on the benefits, you're putting the onus on the rest of the economy to figure it out to get the employees back. I think that's that's really on point. And it, it kind of gets to this like philosophical question of what do we mean when we say unemployment benefits are keeping people out of the job market? To me, what that means is that somebody is staying at home and collecting unemployment mostly for financial reasons, right? That they they would prefer not to work just because and they can collect as much money from the government as they would from a job, right? That's what that means to me. Or they can collect more in some cases. Um, if someone is staying at home because they haven't been vaccinated yet or because their state has only vaccinated one third of the population and they're worried about being cramped in a kitchen, to me, that's that's someone staying home because of the pandemic, even if unemployment benefits make it a little easier to do so. At the same time, if someone is staying home because they have child care issues and it's an option because they have unemployment insurance available to them. But in the end, the real the, they would like to work, the major reason they are not is because they have a kid to take care of. That to me is not someone who is staying away from work because of unemployment. They're staying away because we haven't reopened the schools. That's that's how I think about it. Um, you know, it's what's the but for issue. And I think a lot of Republicans have decided that, you know, they don't care why the person isn't getting a job. They just care that they haven't. When we come back, why prices for everything from lumber to used cars are skyrocketing. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. 
Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, let's talk about the other big indicator that's got people scratching their heads, which is inflation. We started talking about this last week. It's so hot, inflation. <laughs> we, it's like after after decade after a decade, everyone's like, oh, "It's back. We can talk about inflation again." <laughs> I've been waiting for this. So, yeah. uh, what costs are rising? Like, is the cost of everything rising? Broadly speaking, yes, and, and prices are rising across the economy. It's uh, but some prices are rising a lot faster than others. Like right? what? Like there's. Uh, um, so last month, the biggie was used cars. <laughs> like, that was used cars alone were responsible for like one third of the increase in prices overall that month, one third of the increase in, in CPI. And this is sort of the issue that that people are trying to figure out right now. What economists are trying to figure out is how much of the inflation we're seeing now is just a delayed response to the pandemic. And there's something else, the base effect of inflation. Because if inflation is calculated year over year, that means we're measuring ourselves against the beginning of the lockdown when the economy was going haywire. But even if you take you know the base effects out of the uh, out of the picture, right, out of the equation, and you just look at like month over month changes, it, there's still prices are still going up a bunch and, and and pretty fast. In part because we have all these weird issues with supply chains right now. Right. Like and this was something that economists were widely expecting. Right. Like, you know, Jerome Powell said he expected that there would be some supply chain bottlenecks that would cause prices to rise. I've heard it described as kind of a mismatch. Like there are these things people want now and there's just not enough of them available. Right. And I think we can come back to the example of used cars as an example of how in some industries there are just all these weird idiosyncratic forces that are kind of messing with the way the economy usually works. So used cars, there are like three different factors at least coming into play that are intersecting, which have driven up prices 10% in a single month. Um, The first is that we have a shortage of new cars, right? Uh, There are not uh, that U.S. automakers are not able to keep up with demand for new trucks and sedans. And the reason for that is that there's a worldwide shortage of semiconductors, right? Like computer chips, essentially. There's just not enough computer chips in the world. And specifically, there's not enough for the auto industry. And so because there aren't enough computer chips, Ford and you know General Motors, et cetera, these companies have had to idle some of their plants. I feel like I'm following a breadcrumb trail. <laughs> Oh, there are going to be breadcrumbs all over. This is gonna, <laughs> this is going to this is going to be like the uh, always sunny in Philadelphia meme with all the whiteboard, except it's all going to be true. But so the so there are not enough new cars, and as a result, people are going to buy used cars, right? So that's there's just more demand for used cars. At the same time, there's also a unusual shortage of used cars, and that's because of problems in the rental car industry. Um, ordinarily, the rental car industry, like Avis and Hertz and whatnot. They all sell like millions of their vehicles back to used car dealers as they renew their fleets, right? They get new cars, they sell off the old ones, and then the old ones get sent off, sold off to, to you know, you know, families, regular households. Um, 
that's not happening right now because a lot of rental car companies all liquidated their fleets at the beginning of the pandemic. They just sold off a bunch of vehicles to raise cash because no one was renting cars anyway. No one was traveling. So as a result, they don't have enough cars. So they can't sell any cars to the used dealers right now. So the regular flow of vehicles through the used car economy has just been totally stopped up. And then, what, okay, so I feel like so wait, I feel like there's one more thing. There's ahead. one more factor. There's a final <laughs> factor, and the final factor is stimmies. You have a you have a boost in demand because we gave people money, and when you give people money, oftentimes they go and buy big ticket items and you know consumer durables like washers and furniture and used cars, and so probably stimmies had something to do with it as well. I feel like I asked you to explain inflation. And we like pulled on the string on a sweater and now I'm looking at a pile of wool, basically. This is the big question then, right? About like when you you kind of zoom back and you say, is the issue with inflation right now that you just have these weird stories like the used car situation repeating themselves throughout different industries where it's just just strange hiccups that are they're causing prices to rise because again we're revving the engine of the economy and so yeah yeah which is you know it, it we haven't run it in a while it's it's hiccuping weirdly but is it is it a situation like used cars or like what's going on with lumber where essentially they're, they're you know we had a great article in slate about all the different reasons why there's a lumber shortage at the moment you know is it that or is it that we've just created so much demand by putting too much money into the economy. And that's just kind of causing prices to rise generally. Again, this is the sort of thing we're going to find out over a series of months. My feeling is it's it's probably mostly just strange supply chain issues that are kind of repeating themselves throughout the economy. And eventually, eventually we'll get the engine running smoothly and we'll be able to stop worrying about this. But we don't know. You know, this we're figuring it out as it goes along. It's still we're we're seeing how it plays out. Yeah. I mean, of course, talking to you. <laughs> You've come on this show before and been like, let's overheat the economy and see what happens. Let's like put this puppy on high. So, and you sound pretty chill right now, now that the economy is getting a little warm. Um, Is there anything that would get you to panic? Yeah. I mean, like if we keep having jobs reports like the one we just saw, it's it's time for some kind of change in course, right? If you get another, if next month the jobs report is also like 200,000 jobs, something has gone awry and and we need to rethink policy some just it's you know whether it's about vaccines or about unemployment benefits just that that would make me start to worry um if inflation just looks like it's accelerating month by month you know going parabolic then i that would get me to worry um you know that it's more than something transitory or that you know businesses are it or that it's starting to become a feedback loop where businesses are freaking out and expecting higher prices and so raising their own in response um i i guess i should kind of uh benchmark myself by saying there that those are those are two things that would those would kind of freak me out so stay tuned till next month next month is when i want to have you back be like what what happened jordan just like, are you nervous? Are you nervous yet? (laughs) Jordan Weissman, thank you so much for joining me. No problem. Thanks for having me. Jordan Weissman is Slate's senior business and economics correspondent. He's also the guest most likely to curse on this show. And that's it for us. What Next is produced by Carmel Dalshad, Davis Land, Daniel Hewitt, Elena Schwartz, and Mary Wilson. We get a little help every day from Alicia Montgomery and Allison Benedict. And I'm Mary Harris. You can go find me on Twitter. I'm at Mary's desk. Meanwhile, I'll catch you back here 
tomorrow. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.